Okay, um, first, before I get started, I need to uh, mention something, and that is that last week I said something that was inaccurate, and that's bad, but fortunately there was a Berean in the, in the house who, who pointed it out to me. Um, I had made the comment that um, the death penalty was limited in the Old Testament to specific laws, and uh, I had been going back to some notes from college days, but I didn't read the notes thoroughly. And there actually are a lot of exceptions. There's a lot of laws where you can be, uh, the death penalty can be administered. So I, I made a list of them. Um, sacrificing to other gods and child sacrifice and worship of Baal, false prophecy, blasphemy, and Sabbath breaking. So all of those would be those first four laws. All of those crimes are punishable by, by death. Um, the, uh, whenever uh, there was uh, the death penalty for rape of a betrothed woman, which sounds odd, and adultery that involved a married woman, both of those, there was the penalty of death was, was um, uh, applied. Um, and then incest, marrying your wife's mother, um, which is, anyways, uh, that's just a weird one to me. Um, and incest of with your father's wife or your daughter-in-law um, was punishable by death. Homosexuality, which isn't in the Ten Commandments, but homosexuality and bestiality. Um, hitting a parent, that one we did mention last week, or continuous disobedience to a parent was punishable by death. Um, as was kidnapping and lying could be punished by death if it was in a capital case where you were lying and somebody else was then put to death. So um, that is something that isn't acceptable and so I apologize for that. I need to do my research care more carefully. I was uh, speaking where I hadn't studied. So uh, anyways, there are a lot of places in the Old Testament where where you can be uh, sentenced to death for things that are said. All right, so let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Um, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look today at the first commandment. Like I said, it may seem as though that doesn't tie in really well with Christmas, but I actually think it, it does. Um, I think it ties in with Christmas because the only way that you could ever obey the first commandment is because Jesus came. The only way you could obey any commandment is because Jesus came, but Jesus came so that we could have no other gods before God, so that we could have him as our God for all eternity. Um, so last week we started into the Ten Commandments. We did uh, verses 20, uh, verses chapter 21 and 2, which is the introduction to the Ten Commandments and kind of gave an overview of the Ten Commandments. Uh, let's go ahead and read the Ten Commandments again, and then today we're going to be looking at verse uh, 3, which is the first commandment, no other gods before me. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers 
on the children for the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is in your, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's uh, wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far up and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Um, the verse we're looking at today is you shall have no other gods before me. Um, from a historical perspective, this is an important law. Um, the Israelites, of course, are coming out of a very polytheistic culture. Um, the world around them is all polytheistic. Every nation has its own gods, uh, oftentimes many gods, as the Egyptians did. Um, even Abraham, if you remember, was an idol worshiper, right? He was worshiping idols um, in uh, Ur of the Chaldees. And then if you remember when um, Jacob went back to get Rachel and Leah, remember Rachel stole the household gods. gods. So these are pagan people who are worshiping many gods. Um, one of the, we, we talk about this as being a national covenant. One of the things the first command is going to do, I don't think this is the most important thing, but one of the things it's going to do is it's going to unify the nation of Israel. They have one God that they worship, just one. All the nation of Israel then is centered around the worship of, of God. Uh, you remember what happens when Rehoboam loses the kingdom to Jeroboam? Jeroboam takes the ten, 10 northern tribes. What's the first thing that Jeroboam does? Builds an altar to a false god. Builds altars to a false god because he, he doesn't want them worshiping Yahweh because that unifies them as a people. So that's an important thing that takes place here and should be mentioned, but it's not the most important thing. Okay, That's not all there is. And in fact, at this point, the way it's stated, it almost seems as though there's more gods, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Later on, of course, we're going to learn that it's not just that you shall have no other, there are no other gods, right? Uh, Isaiah makes that crystal clear. Go to Isaiah 44 through 46, actually 44 in the whole section there. Uh, I am the Lord and there is no other. 
Um, there, there is no other God. There's no other God who rolled out the heavens. There's no other God who made the earth. There's no other God who does these things. There is no other God. And in fact, um, Isaiah just mocks the concept of other gods, and especially idols. Right? You take a tree, you cut it down, you fasten it into an idol, and you worship the idol, and it can't hear you when you pray, and it can't eat the offerings that you give to it, and it can't think, and it can't do anything. And what's worse is you take the end of the log and you burn it. So with one half, you warm yourself and cook your food, and with the other half, you worship it. And, and so they will become increasingly convinced that there is no other God. But at this point, this is pulling the nation together. Uh, we've mentioned that this is a national covenant. This is God's covenant with the people of Israel. However, having said that, the Ten Commandments are not written to a nation, they're written to individual people. Right? What does it say? You shall have no other gods before me. Those commands are addressed to individuals in the nation of Israel. No person in Israel, no person in this room shall have any other gods before me. Um, as, I, as I've looked at this, um, and especially going back to what Jesus says, it becomes to me, it seems as though the, the, the point of this law is that God wants our heart. He wants restoration of what should be there. We can look at it as a law, which I have to obey, or we can look at this as God desiring to have what he wants with us, which is that relationship which is based upon um, love. Um, I, I see love in this passage, and this is why I see it tying in with what Jesus did as well. So if you go through the, through the Bible, you're going to see this all the way through. What does God want? He wants our heart. He wants us. So when Jesus is asked to restate, say, what is the greatest command? And by the way, that was a trick that they were playing on Jesus. They wanted him to say something wrong. Um, the Pharisees actually and the Sadducees actually had factions that argued over which law was the greatest law. And they would pull out their favorite one or whatever. And so what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your Yes, and the first part of that is what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one which is something that the Jews said to themselves repeatedly many times per day, depending upon how, um, how strict you were. But hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You sh uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That summarizes the first part of the law. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second part of the law. Jesus puts it into the context of uh, we are being asked to love God. We know that God loves us because he sent his son. Um, and so the, the foundation of this is love. I want you to think through just some verses in the Old Testament. Because um, it isn't just there. Right? We see this in the psalm. What is it that God wants? Um, what, what made David so special to God? He's a man after God's own heart. Um, psalm 1 begins and it says... Um, how blessed is a man who does not uh, walk in the path of 
way of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, the perfect expression of who God is, and in his law he meditates day and night. Um, Psalm 42, 1. The deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. This is what God is after. People who are after his heart. People who long after him. When you get to the New Testament, uh, Jesus, I think, does this over and over again. Keeps pointing people back to what God is after. When you get to Matthew, um, you go to the New Testament. Matthew chapter um, 6. We have the Sermon on the Mount. And we know that Jesus goes through and, in a sense, reinterprets the law for them. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. He he deals with the the law. And then he gets to chapter uh, 6. And he talks about, um, well, gives us the Lord's Prayer, um, where he talks about God is our Father. Then he talks about fasting. He says, don't fast so that people outside can see you, but fast in a way that nobody knows that you're fasting. Why? Because the relationship with God is what is important at this point. But then he gets to chapter, uh, to verse, um, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is after our heart. (laughs) Your heart needs, your treasures need to be in heaven or your heart will be in the wrong place. Then he talks about the, the, the eye being pure, which or being um, pure, which means single-minded. Uh, then we go on, and he says, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters." Uh, that's a pretty clear restatement of the first command, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You cannot serve two masters. But what I find interesting is that Jesus puts that into the context of love. You can't serve somebody else and love this other master. You can't serve another god and love God. As you go through Paul, he talks about this as well. Set your affections on the things above and not on the things of the earth. For me to live is Christ and to die is game. Um, Present your bodies as living sacrifices. In fact, the whole scope of biblical history, starting with the garden and ending with Revelation, keeps coming back to that idea that we lost something when we stopped worshiping God as our own God. So think back to the garden. What's the garden like? We have perfect vertical relationship, right? God and man in perfect relationship. Perfect relationship this way between Adam and Eve and if they had had children uh, with their children, but they didn't at that point. And there's a perfect vertical relationship downward. They're in perfect harmony with nature, with their their world. And then they sin, and what comes into the picture? Brokenness, pain, (coughs) and destruction. Sin destroys. 
So you go all the way through the Bible, and at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, we see that God puts everything back to rights again. Go to Revelation with me, chapter 20. Uh, excuse me, 21. <clears throat> and it says, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, God, out, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be worth, with them as they are God. And um, then it goes on, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And if you keep going in there, um, and, and we're not going to read the whole thing, um, we find out in verse uh, chapter 22 that there's a river that flows through there. There's trees that are for the healing of the nation. You almost get the picture of the garden. Um, and then an interesting thing happens in verse 8 of chapter 22. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow mm -hmm. servant with you and your brothers and prophets and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. He falls down to worship the angel and it's no worship God, which is the point of the first command. Um, I, I find it interesting that, that the um, relationship between God and Israel in the Old Testament is portrayed as the relationship between husband and wife, right? And in the New Testament, the relationship between Christ and his church is that of bridegroom and bride. Um, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, um, it says, you shall have no other gods a debate about which is the best way to translate that. So it's either before me, it could also mean beside me, or it could be over against me. Okay? Beside me, before me, or over against me. So, alright, you can have another God that's in front of me, you could have a God that's beside me, you could have a God that where the two of us are supposed to fight it out. And God says none of those are acceptable. Um, and they, the, the books that I've read, the theologians argue over that, which is the right one. And ESVs come up with before me. But can, can I just point out, it wouldn't matter which word you use there. Let, let me give you an analogy, going back to this idea of what God wants. By the way, this would never happen, ever. Um, but imagine that I came home and April said, Scott, I, I found another man 
It's never going to happen. I, I know April, so that you can smile, April. Don't don't be too worried. I, did, I actually did this once at a we were at a Bible study, and it was a number of couples, and there was an older lady there, and I made this analogy, and she said, "Well, I'll tell you what the analogy is in a minute." And, uh, I got ahead of myself. Anyways, April comes and says, there's another man, and, but I still love you. So I want him, I want to marry him too, which probably will be okay in a couple of years, and which is really sad, because um, it destroys the concept of marriage. But um, I, I want him in front of you. You can be the second husband. What's my response to that? No. <laughs> and really, the, the marriage, in a sense, is now totally fractured. Right? How would it ever be the same after that? So that would be really bad. Well, what if she said, OK, Scott, I found this other guy, and I really like him. The two of you fight it out of him. I want to put him over and against you. Well, I'm sure there would be a fight, but, but it still is not what she should be doing as my wife. They still, what's the lesser of the three? It's just beside, I'll tell you what, we'll just all be one big happy family. There'll be me and you and him. And it will all be equal beside you. Does that work either? No. No, why? Because the relationship is built upon intimacy. There is only one. I have many children. I can love all my children the same. Right? I have my parents and I can love my father and my mother with the same type of love. But between my wife and I, there is no room for someone else. Uh, you see this picture in the Ten Commandments when God talks about being a jealous God. There is a proper place for jealousy. And God wants your heart and he does not want it shared with anybody or anything else. Um, I had used, now I'll go back to my story, I'd used that analogy before, and I was in, we were in a group, and there was this one older lady who wasn't quite totally all there, and she said, well, if you just treat her nicer, she wouldn't go out and do that. <laughs> and I was like, I said, no, 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 this is just an analogy, and she couldn't get off of that. She was like, look, you know, you need to help out around the house more. So, okay, 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 we'll forget we ever said that. Now. Um, let, let me now try and get real quick. we got 15 minutes left. Let me, let me try and get practical. I, I do, God wants our worship. He wants our heart. Uh, he, he does want us to fear him, which is a little different than a marriage relationship. But our, our relationship with God isn't that of a marriage relationship, but it has to be an exclusive relationship. That's why that picture is there. So my question is... What does it mean to put another God before us? We are thoroughly monotheistic. None of you are going to go worship Baal. None of you are going to go worship anybody else. Everybody that you meet is effectively monotheistic. I guess you might run into some pagans in the United States, but even if you meet an atheist, an atheist is monotheistic. Right? He, he doesn't, he's not mad at all gods. Who's he mad at if he's a mad atheist? He's mad at our God, right? He, he doesn't say, I don't believe in gods. He says, I don't believe in God. We're monotheistic. So what does it mean to not have a God before us? Well, I think Jesus makes that clear. You can't serve two masters. There can't be anybody, anything else that you love more than God. 
There can't be anything else that you are willing to serve before you serve God. There can't be any relationship which is placed above God. You are not allowed to trust anybody more than you trust God. And that makes this a hard command for us as well, which again is why Jesus came. The only way we're able to do this is because Christ is able to do it. And, and we'll never be able to do it perfectly, I don't think, because there's all these other gods that are fighting for our attention. So let me throw out a few gods. You guys can think about your own gods, and then if there's time, we'll share some of the ones. Um, I think entertainment is a god in our society. And that one kind of affects me personally. The amount of time that's spent um, watching movies, playing games, um, on the internet, reading whatever it is that we're reading, or doing whatever it is we're doing, and it's it, we have to be entertained constantly. And then we'll hear the same people who are involved in that say, but I really don't have any time to serve. I really don't have any time to pray. I really don't have any time to read my Bible. And I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we oftentimes have elevated that. Um, I think if, I remember reading years ago that if an alien came down to Earth and looked at most Americans, they would think that their phone is their God because they are constantly consulting it. <laughs> you always have your phone out, right? And, and so we put that above God. I'm not saying you shouldn't have any entertainment, but the question has to be is where is our priorities? Well, do you want to turn there? Yeah. Okay. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12. Yeah, that actually is putting, putting education, but that might have been the same thing, books in those days. Um, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Um, actually, we ought to go back in the context. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. That's interesting. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there's no end, and much study is a weariness to all flesh. That's the student's favorite verse. Um, <laughs> but, but putting, yeah. Social media, any kind of media. Putting that above love. You can weary yourself with that. All right, that, that one probably um, hit home with some of you, with some of us. Here's one that it doesn't hit home with me quite as much. And some of you won't like me after I say it. But I think sports is a god in our culture. Um, I remember the first time I saw the shirt that said, it was, I don't know what the sport was, it doesn't matter. Volleyball is life, all the rest is just details. Makes right. more sense if it's a football. And, uh, and it's like, okay, it's a joke. I'm, I, I don't get upset about those type of things, but there's a joke with truth to that. So, um, especially those of you in here with young kids it, it, uh, who are heading up. I, I, I'm old, maybe I'm deceiving myself, but I'm old enough to remember when you could play a sport at school and just play the sport, and at the end of the season you were done. 
that exists anymore. We, we end with the sport and you start it the next day. And if you really want to be good in the sport, you got to be on a club team. Um, or the coach tells you you'll never you know, be the player you need to be. And club teams are traveling and they're gone every two times a month. But we have a verse that says do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But for, for most, uh, you know, as parents, we may not feel it, but our kids understand that their coach is above everything else. If the coach says play on Sunday during church, guess when we play? On Sunday during church. Right? And then we wonder wh why it is that, you know, maybe our children don't have the same commitments that we do. So that's, it's dangerous. We can put that above God. Now, there's a place for sports. There's a place for entertainment. There's a place for all of it. What we have to ask is, is that above God in our lives? Um, Jesus talks about family relationships, right? No man can come to me unless he hate his father and his mother. Well, it's possible to put our family above God. Um, if, if your mother tells you not to do something and God tells you to do it, you obey God rather than your mother. Um, years ago, I read an article. This was probably 20 years ago, maybe more. And it was about the homeschool movement. It was in World Magazine. <laughs> and the author had gone to a homeschool convention. Homeschooling was, was kind of a big thing at the time, so they were looking at that. And she had been to this homeschool convention, and she went to a seminar on raising godly children. It's a pretty good seminar. The guy, the, the, I think it was a woman teaching it, taught about working on their heart, making sure that they're um, memorizing verses, that they have good godly Christian friends, that the curriculum is based in the word of God, that we have them in church. And then she gave the reason. She said, and we all know why we want to have godly children. She said, because heaven won't be heaven unless our children are there. And the woman said, that is the clearest violation of the first commandment of the word. Really? Your children are more important than God? You're looking forward to being in heaven so you can be with your children? What is it that makes heaven heaven? It's the fact that God is there. Not that our children are there. Now, we all want our children there. Now, all, every parent knows what I'm saying. We want our, our children there. We want our parents there. We want everybody we know there. But who do we really, what's the purpose? <laughs> it's because that relationship is always the primary relationship. And that's why God is wiping away tears when we get there. That there, there is no, there, the, 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 the only thing that will matter there is our relationship with God. So we can do this even with the best things. I bring that one up because children, right? I mean, if, if anything, we should pour ourselves into our children. But our children cannot be above God. Uh, nothing can be above God. And that's the point of the first command. Anybody have other things that we could mention? As, I mean, obviously, there's money. Um, there's our security. Uh, for sometimes our Patriotism comes before God. Our legacy. Our, our legacy. And then, like, like um, Martin Luther said, our pride. This is why Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him 
deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Um, the, the, the sin that puts ourselves above everything else. And that's why Martin Luther said that every sin is a violation of the first commandment. Because every sin is us exerting our will against God. So when you steal, when you lie, when you cheat, when you um, um, do whatever, any sin is putting our pride, ourselves, our will above God's will. And so this factors out into all sorts of places. Yeah, because you can set up a list of rules and through the force of your will obey them and be very, very far from God. Yes. Um, in fact, let me, let me end with this. Um, although if somebody has something else they want to bring up, there's, there's time. Um, Martin Luther, who began the Reformation, many of you know this, Martin Luther was a great lawyer. Um, we don't think of him that way, but that was his profession. And Martin Luther asked himself a question. And the question was, what is the greatest sin? And to most anybody else, go ask somebody. It would be kind of fun to do. Just ask, what's the worst thing you could do? Murder somebody, rape. Um, maybe on some college campus to say something mean. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. We go through this list, and Martin Luther, as a lawyer, said, no, if the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the greatest sin is to not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Martin Luther analyzed himself and said, I don't think for one moment of one day I've ever loved God <laughs> with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he looked around and he said, no one else is doing it either. We're all going to hell because we're violating the great command. So he went and became a monk. And he tried to eliminate anything in his life that was between him and God. And you know what he found? The problem was that he was between him and God. He was his own idol. That's why he said every sin, 
and he would go and confess to his priest. Some of you heard that story for hours and hours and hours. Finally, the priest said, why don't you just go and do something really bad? So you have something to confess to me, because he would confess, I thought this little thought, and I said this, and I muttered this under my breath, and the poor confessor is going, tell me something real. But you see, he, he understood it, right? Because the real issue was, I don't love God. And, and I can't do it. I can keep the rules of the monastery, but I can't change my heart. And that's where the Christmas message comes from, right? Because that's what Christ came to do. He came to change our hearts. He came to write a new law in our heart. And it's a battle that we're going to deal with our whole lives, but fortunately, our obedience is Christ's obedience. There's only been one person who's ever loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved his neighbor as himself perfectly every moment of every day, and that was Jesus Christ. And because of his righteousness, we are righteous. But it's something that we aspire to, not to make ourselves more righteous, but because we love we want that relationship. And honestly, go back and read Revelation 21. It's easy to look at laws as things which are imposed upon us. But God, God wants that scene in heaven. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. Our tears have been wiped away. Uh, God is with us, and we worship him. And there's healing for the nations. And that is what God is promising in the first command. Um, so... Uh, any other comments before we finish? Some of you are thinking of your own lives, and that's good. Anything we have before God needs to be dethroned, and God needs to be put in that place. Just thinking of the community before Christ, and the thing is bondage. Yeah. And then with Christ, we broke the law. Yeah. He changes our life. Yeah. By the way, I forgot to introduce. This is Esther and Hunter, and they're with us for the first time. And I meant to say something at the beginning, and I got, got going. All right, thank you. Okay, let's go ahead and close the prayer.